MSEC Podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. My name is Susan Sellers, and I will be your host for today. Joining me is Rashi Romanoff, VP of Programs and Partnerships at the Elizabeth Dole Foundation, with Steve Malik and Cleo Jacobs Johnson from Mathematica. I want to thank you guys all for joining me today. Many of our listeners are familiar with the Elizabeth Dole Foundation and its mission to bring attention to the caregivers of our wounded, ill, or injured service members. Recently, though, Rashi, your organization has decided to expand their venison. Would you maybe talk a little bit about this newer initiative entitled Hidden Helpers? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Susan, and a huge thanks to MSEC for all that you do each and every day to really improve the resources available for educators and for families and for children. We're so excited to be here on behalf of the Elizabeth Dole Foundation talking about our Hidden Helpers initiative. You know, we have, as a foundation, been around, this is our 10th anniversary year, so we're really excited about the growth that we've had over the last decade. And our mission has always been military and veteran caregivers. We know that nationwide there are 5.5 million military and veteran caregivers serving wounded, injured, and ill veterans. However, you know, since the beginning, we've known that one important part of that population is children, really. It's kids in these households. And, you know, veterans don't serve on their own. Families serve, right? And whenever they return uh, back to the States, families are welcoming them back. And families are coordinating care and coordinating treatments and shuttling people back and forth between the VA and DOD and other healthcare appointments. And so, Everything that the Elizabeth Dole Foundation has really been about over the last 10 years is really focused on these family units and resources and programs and supports that can really help these returning veterans, you know, dealing with their conditions, thinking about financial wellness, thinking about mental wellness, thinking about physical wellness has really been the bread and butter of what EDF and the foundation has been about. We wanted to expand to better understand the needs of kids in these households. Frankly, I think whether we're in the military space or in the civilian space, there really hasn't been a lot of research done looking at the impacts of caregiving on kids. It's a huge, huge gap in our literature. It's a huge gap in our understanding of chronic disease and injury and illness, sort of whether you're in the military community or not. And so we really wanted to put a stake in the ground and say, children are important to the future of our armed services. Children are important to the future of how we think about military and veteran service. And they're already currently serving. We just maybe don't see them or we haven't seen them. And the same way that I think our Hidden Heroes Initiative 10 years ago really uncovered this issue nationwide around the plight and the challenges of adult caregivers we're really excited about hidden helpers and, and shifting the narrative and, and shifting the perspective to really think about the needs of kids in these households as well. Well, I completely agree with you. It's not just the service member who serves our country. It's their entire family and the sacrifices that entire family goes through 
particularly when their service member either returns wounded, ill, or injured. And as you stated, the foundation's programming has largely helped kids in the past by supporting their parents, supporting the caregivers that are helping with the family. So now that we're shifting the focus to the initiative Hidden Helpers, this is going to directly serve those caregiving children. I'm curious, how did this come to your attention and why do you think it's so important to expand the focus to include military kids? Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. I think since the beginning, what we've heard from our community, especially as we began innovating and launching new programs around whether it was direct care, our fellows program, our respite relief program, financial assistance work, things we were doing with the VA, as we began empowering and engaging with our adult caregivers, oftentimes spouses or parents taking care of a wounded uh, child, siblings, things like that. One of the things that as we were working closely with, with the adults that we heard anecdotally was, wow, I wish this existed for my son or my daughter. And we really saw that as an area where we wanted to grow. There are a number of different resources and programs available for military children, whether it's through the DOD, Military OneSource, YMCA, number of different benefits that are available for military kids, which are fantastic. But whenever it came to this nuanced group of hidden helpers or these military kids in caregiving environments, the same sort of availability and access of resources just, it seemed to dwindle. The same way that I think 10 years ago, whenever we audited and saw, you know, well, what's available for military spouses? And there was, there was a lot, but whenever it came down to military spouses, perhaps serving a caregiving role, there weren't as many resources. There wasn't as much of an infrastructure in place be it through government programs, government benefits, private sector um, entities and offerings, there just wasn't enough for those in these caregiving environments. And I think for kids in these homes, I think there's a lot of similarities between what all military kids face and what caregiving kids are facing, right? Because as a nature of service, perhaps things like they've moved a lot whenever they were in grade school or they're used to mom or dad being deployed. I think there's a lot of common elements between hidden helpers and all military kids, which I think the data says are very similar in terms of impact. But these hidden helpers, these military kids that are also responding and reacting and impacted by a caregiving experience really do have a different set of discrete responsibilities and things going on in the home as a result of the wound or injury or illness. And so tailoring a support system to sort of recognize those differences is really, really important. And really it's what EDF is all about. And so as soon as we were sort of alerted to the fact that hearing, I think, from some of our adult caregivers saying, wow, this is great. I wish I wish somebody was speaking to my kids like this was sort of our first initial, wow, we should really think about doing this and have to recognize our great partners at Wounded Warrior Project because as soon as we started talking with them about this issue, they agreed first and foremost and said, we want to be supportive and we want to be helpful. And so it was really great to have partners like Wounded Warrior Project support this from the beginning and then think through really what we need to be doing next in terms of an action roadmap to best support these kids. When you made that statement, caregivers were sharing, oh, this is really great. I wish 
this was for my child. I mean, what an eye opener. We already know life for our military kids has different facets. You know, it's a, it's a completely different dynamic, but then to add that extra element of being a caregiver as a military child really makes you pause and think about it. And humbly, I would say that it has not been something that I had thought about previously, but I'm so glad that EDF had been tracking and took those suggestions and decided to look for a way to tailor support for these kiddos. What was the first step that you guys took when realizing that there was a need? first thing we did, like all things at the Elizabeth Dole Foundation, um, we don't want to go anywhere by ourselves. We want to do this with partners. We want to do this across the coalition. I think in this day and age, you know, resources are limited. So if you're going to launch something, you want to do it in a strategic way that's also efficient so that whatever we benefit from the really all of our partners in the space can benefit from. So the first thing we did was convene informally a bunch of different like-minded organizations who all work in the space to varying degrees, whether it's military and veteran service organizations, other nonprofits, other family-based organizations. We convened all of them and said, hey, we really want to focus in and dig in on what the needs are for these caregiving kids. And we want to better understand what are you currently seeing? What are the trends that you're observing? What are the programs that you're offering? And it was through this group that I think we really identified that there was not any existing research on this. And I think first and foremost for the foundation is really making sure that all of our programming and all of the resources we design are first and foremost rooted and based in evidence-based research and evidence-based design. It's, we don't want to just create materials to create materials. We want to create resources and design programs that the research is telling us is going to have the biggest impact on those in our community. And that's where we want to make our investments. And so it became very clear whenever we said, well, what does the research tell us that we need that there really wasn't any research out there looking at specifically the impacts of caregiving on these military kids. So that really first and foremost for us was our call to action around identifying a smart and qualified and experienced research partner uh, to be able to do this work for us and really present us with a set of recommendations around what we can be doing better. And, and really even think back to the request for proposal process and all of the steps you have when undertaking research, which is not by any means a simple undertaking to do. One of the first things we did was we worked with all of our partners and really said, well, what do you want the research to tell us? And I think what we were really excited and we agreed with across our coalition was people didn't necessarily want us to overdiagnose a problem. I think a lot of people kind of knew what we knew about military kids and had a sense based off of the work that EDF has done over the last 10 years about the stressors on caregiving families. And so I think there was a real desire for the research to talk to us about interventions and things that we can do to better support both parents and kids in these homes. The foundation then decided to partner with Mathematica to examine these impacts that we've been thinking are occurring with our caregiving children who are growing up in these homes. And then additionally to identify some promising activities that could help support the well-being of these children. What I'd like to do now is bring in Steve Malik and Cleo Jacobs Johnson from Mathematica to get a better understanding of the research findings. So thank you both for being here today. I think I'm going to start with Steve. 
what questions with this research were you hoping to answer? So, I mean, we had five main research questions, but I think you could boil them down to essentially what's going on in kids' day-to-day lives as a result of growing up in a military caregiving home or military caregiving family that's affecting their overall development. And we took a kind of different ways of looking at this, and we asked ourselves the question, what support would kids need? And as well, what kind of uh, interventions and programs might be useful for them? Ultimately, we knew that we wanted to be able to put together some recommendations for EDF and society at large, our country at large, to be able to consider in order to improve outcomes for kids in military caregiving homes. Cleo, what were the data sources that were used by Mathematica in terms of obtaining this information and why were they used? Susan, thank you for having us. So our first data source was we attempted to get a lay of the land. What's the landscape? What does the research literature already tell us about children in caregiving homes? And we looked for research related to military children in caregiving homes, as well as civilian children growing up in caregiving homes. So we started the literature review. We also then conducted a, a survey secondary data analysis of two nationally available data sets to help us figure out the prevalence. What's the estimate of the number of kids, children who are living in these military caregiving homes? And on one data set, we attempted to look at some differences between children in military caregiving homes, military children who are not in caregiving homes, and then compare them with uh, civilian children who are growing up in caregiving homes and civilian children who are not growing up in civilian in caregiving homes. And that data effort was intended to help us figure out what's the impact on children's development in those data sources. So how does caregiving impact military children's mental health, physical well-being, and other aspects of development? Then after that, we spoke with experts, folks who design programs for children in military caregiving homes, experts who work with military families, researchers, folks in the federal government, just a host of people who have familiarity and expertise with the military community. And then lastly, we spoke with caregivers and caregiving children to learn about that lived experience. And we conducted interviews or small group discussions with caregivers and children who are about 10 years old into high school years and some um, young adults who had grown up in military caregiving homes. And those conversations were so rich, Susan. We got to hear about the wonderful things these families are doing, the wonderful opportunities the kids are having, their relationships with their moms or dad, grandparents who are the care recipients. But we also got to hear about some of the challenges they experience on a day-to-day basis. And that's really, I would say, you know, among the highlights of the work we did was being able to speak with uh, the caregivers and children who are going through this on a day-to-day basis and the ways in which they led us into their lives so we can learn more about them really helped to round out this multi-data collection effort. During this period when you're meeting with families, doing these small group studies, was there a particular story or a particular moment that just really resonated with you or really brought the importance of this research home for you? 
What a wonderful question. There's so many stories I can share, but I can elevate one in this moment. There was a young woman, she was probably the first person I interviewed. She was about 14 or 15 years old, right? So high school. And she was able to talk about what her mom experiences as the caregiver, as the main caregiver, and how it impacts her dad and how it trickles down to her. So she, in her story, highlighted this experience she has when mail comes from the VA to their home. And how just getting a piece of mail from the VA can actually kind of knock the family a little bit off kilter. It, cre- it generates stress. Even before they've opened up the mail, there's a stress. It triggers stress for them. And that she experiences that as well. And so one of the things she said is she's like, she would like for her dad to get the care he needs without having to wait weeks for a referral. She would like the VA to let her mom be able to get what she needs so that she's not stressed. And then subsequently, this young lady doesn't experience that stress. And all I can remember in that story was, wow, you know, that one piece of mail shows up and it can disrupt the family because they're not sure what's gonna be in there. They're not sure they're gonna get the answers they're looking for or hoping for. And just in that one moment, there's this tension. That envelope can either exacerbate some stress or it might even relieve it. But that's what her family experiences. And in her mind, she centers the VA as really being kind of that answer for her dad, her mom, and herself. Wow. What a candid slice of what their life is truly like and how even the smallest of items can be triggers that have a a cascade of effects on an entire family. Steve, when you were also researching with Cleo, what was something that resonated with you? That's really a great question because at times when we would be chatting with folks, we, you know, you're supposed to remain this kind of researcher and it's hard for your heart not to completely like just go into all of this work at 100%. Times you just want to laugh hysterically with people who you're chatting with and sometimes you want to cry alongside with them and there's a lot going on. And so I might take some liberties and share kind of two aspects of this experiences that we had. And I'll frame by saying, you know, I'm a former teacher. I taught in urban communities, uh, communities experiencing poverty. And there's a lot of framing about those communities and the folks who are living in those communities that I think is pretty negative or deficit framed. Cleo and I were really attentive to trying to make sure that we don't frame the lived experiences of military caregiving families in this really negative deficit lens that view view them as a problem as opposed to integral to the solution of improving outcomes for our families and for kids. So, In that lens, one of the things that just stood out to me is that kids are kids and families are families. Over and over again, we just heard stories of kids living their lives and doing doing right by their families and not viewing the work and the things they do to help their injured or ill loved one as any different than any other responsibility. Making sure dad's turned off the stove or has taken his medicines right up there with making sure that they got the laundry done or mowed the lawn or took the dog out for a walk. These are just regular families with some really serious challenges. And so I think I was both heartened by the degree to which families are just wanting to do right by each other because they love each other and they just feel that obligation and responsibility and love. Simultaneously, like one story that really does stick out to me that really kind of shook me to my core 
So, and I'll talk about this a bit when we talk about the findings, but we took this approach that looked at the whole ecosystem around a kid. What are the things that go together to make kids thrive, right? So there's the individual kid, there's the family, then there's kind of broader community and society at large. And so family obviously plays a huge role. The resources and supports families obtain are going to directly influence kids. So we were talking to one caregiver who talked about bringing a whole family together for their dad's appointment at the VA. And the dad had, I believe, PTSD. And something happened during that appointment in the waiting room. The father had a PTSD-induced trigger and had kind of a little bit of a temper tantrum, for lack of a better term. And the folks who, the psychologists and support staff, are, you know, who are supposed to provide supports to this individual, supposed to recognize that this person is having a challenge in that moment, was triggered. Instead of approaching that with the generosity that needed to be approached with, the care and support, recognizing something had happened to this individual, instead responded by calling Child Protective Services on the family and having the family's kids threatened to be taken away from them. Now, if you know anything about the research on what happens to kids when you take them away from home against the wishes of the family, outcomes for those kids are not great. Just the mere moment, the mere presence of taking that kid outside of their home, really bad outcomes. And so imagine this family saying, we came to you for support, and instead, you've provided more fear for us. So now the father will not go get mental health services from the VA, like, period. So now imagine the, his spouse and the children in that space having to navigate the challenges of pretty severe mental illness without the supports that they deserve. That really shakes me to my core when I think about that story. I would certainly feel the same way. Family that has served our country should always be treated with the dignity and with graciousness to help them to identify and to be supportive. I mean, that is the least I think that we can do for these families and certainly not to place a negative label of who a family is. But you had also said something I think that was interesting, that taking care of a parent is just part of their daily routine. It's up there with doing homework or walking the dog. We actually had had someone from Camp Corral on also talking about caregivers and children. They found that a lot of times children well, they didn't consider themselves caregivers. And in some regards, parents didn't recognize that these children had taken on these caregiving roles. Is that something that the study uncovered? Yeah, I would say that there's a whole range of how families kind of operate and have awareness to the ways that which all the members are providing care to the injured or ill service member. One hand, we were talking to some kids, especially the younger ones, and it was like pulling teeth to get them to talk about anything because they're just like, I'm living my life. I'm playing computer games. I'm going to go do the things I need to do. Oh, by the way, Dad, do you remember to take this thing? Okay, cool. And that's like one side. And on the other side, we have one kid who really identified as being essentially the pathic presence for the injured service member because they could tell before everyone else that they were about to be triggered or they were triggered and could help remove the father from the triggering situation so that way he could catch his breath and calm back down. So, I mean, you see the whole gambit of how uh, families have structured. And I think this is one of the, uh, related to, I think, a key finding that we have, which is seems like the transparency of which the family communicates about the nature of 
the service member's injury or illness and how that evolves over time is really critical towards how that family kind of gets along and goes about living its daily life. And that's really critical. And it's also related to that, important to note that caregiving itself can overwhelm the bandwidth that families and individuals have to kind of manage those day-to-day lives. So yeah, you have a kid providing care, but because they have responsibilities to say take care of younger siblings because they know one of their parents needs to attend to the other, they may forego going to after-school drama club or going to hang out with friends at the bowling alley or any number of kind of normal expected developmental things that kids do to figure out who they are in relation to everyone around them. It's really a double-edged sword, and it's really critically important that kids and their families recognize the ways in which families are providing care and help set appropriate boundaries around that. Clear, were there any other additional recommendations that came out of the findings as a result of the study? Yes, we found four key findings and connected them to four recommendations. Our recommendations deliberately go from the child to their family to their community or our nation and then into partnerships across folks from different sectors. To Steve's point earlier and to your question, Susan, about recognizing themselves as caregivers, one of our recommendations is around this awareness campaign. And in large part, what the Elizabeth Dole Foundation is doing now with its Hidden Helpers Coalition, and even being present on this podcast is part of raising this awareness. Prior to doing this work, I had not thought myself personally, as a member of the military community, about this population of military caregiving families. And so it has raised even my awareness of this very special group. So how can we come together, raise that awareness? So the stigma, for example, what Steve mentioned in the story he shared, some of that is about stigma. And now this family is not seeking additional care because of that, right? There's some fear and some stigma. So how can we lessen that? When you think about the kids, our recommendations are around things like enhancing peer support for these children, enhancing mental health services, for them, helping them navigate this identity as a caregiver. Again, when you raise awareness, you might have more kids who raise their hand and say, oh, that's me. Now, what do I do with that? How can you help me understand my father or my mother's injury or illness and my role in it, how I can navigate both being a child and doing this special thing with, again, what Steve said, doing what normal families do, what kids do, right? But I might need some support. And the other, one of the things we heard from kids is they oftentimes don't know other children like them. They may attend programming like a Camp Corral or Operation Purple camps, which are wonderful programs and they enjoy it. But sometimes those relationships don't persist outside of the camp environment. And the kids want help building relationships beyond these camps. One of the things we've just talked about as well is the impact on that whole family. So I mentioned the young woman I spoke to and that letter from the VA, watching how it triggers her mom, how it triggers dad and impacts her. When we think about the family unit, there are of course multiple relationships within that family and support those relationships, the parental relationship, the parent-child relationship, the sibling relationship, such that in areas such as communication and interpersonal connectedness. So we wanna focus on 
these children, the caregivers, and those relationships and strengthening those bonds. There's a role for all of us to play, as I mentioned, the different sectors come together, our federal partners, philanthropic partners, local agencies, communities coming together to support families, improve access to care, mental health care, working together, continue to uplift, again, this very special group who is coming to our awareness as we understand more about them. I think one of the greater strengths of the Elizabeth Dole Foundation is how it uplifts stories of caregivers so that their voices can be heard. And that's such a powerful way to create awareness. And before I switch it though back over to Rashi, I had one more question for you, Cleo, and you, Steve. I sense that you guys might have a little bit of a personal investment in this particular study. Absolutely. So my husband has 20 years of active duty service and we're on our fourth PCS. I have for quite a long time been looking for an opportunity to use my professional skills and my personal identity as a military family. How can I be of support, kind of bring that professional lens to be a vessel within the military community to be a support and to be a resource? So doing this work, I have an 11-year-old who's now in school number four, and so much of what we learned and heard about resonated with our experience around things like isolation, teachers don't know. We did hear that from families, their school may not know about their caregiving status. They may not even know about their military status or veteran status and the importance of that. So for me, this work is very personal. And one of the great things, being a researcher a long time, when we first started on this project, I was walking my daughter to school and I was saying, oh, mommy's working on a project about military kids. And she was, I think in third or fourth grade at the time. And she looked at me and she said, oh, like me, I've been doing research a long time and she's never once seen herself in my work in that way. And that for me was such a joyous moment that she saw herself as part of the community that I'm doing this work with. What a great way to support your community and to be able to do it with something you're passionate about. What about you, Steve? There's probably two ways I enter this conversation. You know, I'm a former teacher and teacher coach. I spent almost a decade working in schools and you know, moving the needle for kids, making kids' lives better is a non-negotiable of my own kind of personal code. This really deeply aligns with that. But um, there is something else there. And like Cleo, I'm, I'm a military spouse, and my husband deployed uh, when we were just engaged to get married. But at the time, there was a ban on open service for members of the LGBTQ community, which meant I couldn't even do things like sign a letter, I love you, to my husband for fear of him being dishonorably discharged, which if he was, would have had profound implications on our family. We wouldn't have been able to buy a house. You know, it's those, he wouldn't have gone to grad school to get his master's degree. It's those really important things that we had to be very careful of. And so during his deployment, I just had to pay really close attention. I created fake email addresses so I could find support without accidentally outing him. And even in doing so, finding very few resources available for folks like me. And so while luckily he came back without any injury or illness, I still have these vivid memories of just feeling completely isolated, not having anyone to talk to, and not knowing where to turn or how to even prepare to bring my soldier back. So that really draws me to the importance of this work. 
only imagine, Steve, certainly you have that empathy of isolation based on your personal experience. And I'm sure these children also experience that as well at certain moments. Rashi, now that the Elizabeth Dole Foundation has collected this information and are ready to take action, what measures do you see coming up for 2022? 2022 is going to be a banner year for us. One of the things that we were really excited to launch last year was our Hidden Helpers Coalition. And so as we were working with Cleo and Steve and the whole Mathematica team, we knew that we wanted to bring in as many people as possible to this research, again, because really the origins of what everything that the Elizabeth Dole Foundation does is based in coalition efforts. And so one of the things we launched last year was a Hidden Helpers Coalition, which is really dedicated to answering the call to action that the Mathematica team did so eloquently in their research and really start to respond to some of these recommendations. So whether it's calls for new programs, calls for new policy, it's really up to the members of our coalition and our government partners as well to really take the lead in implementing these. So I would say, and, and Cleo said it best earlier, I think one of the things that I love about how the report itself is structured is that there really is something that every sector can do and that every person can do. So when you read through the report, it has its literature review, it has its focus group data, it's it's got a lot of a lot of information to digest, but there is also an actionable section that every single person sort of in their seat can look at and say, that's something that I can walk away with and I can do. The members of our Hidden Helpers Coalition, we have over 60 organizational members that are a part of this coalition. Whenever we announced this, we announced this at the White House with the support of First Lady Jill Biden. And alongside Dr. Biden, we had more than 40 organizational actional commitments made at the White House alongside the launch of this research, which really represent the actionable measures that all of our coalition members are going to be taking. And these commitments really span all sectors. So we had commitments from this administration, for example, the Department of Education and HHS are going to work to develop a toolkit for educators. DOD and VA talked about new training opportunities, uh, you know, DOD specifically committing to train all of their military family life counselors on the needs of hidden helpers. There's new financial support opportunities from Wounded Warrior Project, USAA, Bob and Dolores Hope Foundation, really aimed at grant making for nonprofits that are working to support hidden helpers. Groups like Sesame Street, obviously MSEC, are thinking about ways to create new education and training materials. Red Cross, YMCA, National Association of Counties, the list goes on around different organizations looking to make commitments. One of the ones I'm most excited about is really around our clinical transformation efforts. I think what you heard from Cleo and from Steve about some of these moments with the VA or some of these moments with healthcare systems where there's just maybe a lack of empathy or a lack of understanding or the timing of the delivery of some of this stuff isn't maybe done in the best way. So we're really excited having groups like Nemours, Humana, Magellan, TriWest all come to the table and think about the clinical environments in which we're treating these families is also really important. At a big picture, I think one thing EDF and Wounded Warrior Project as co-chairs of our coalition are committed to in 2022 are actionable measures that will really address holistic family functioning. I think 
trying to think of these veteran families as disparate parts, you know, military spouses or parents or husbands or wives or kids um, only goes so far. And when we think about all of these families as really holistic units that need a variety of different kinds of support, we'll be able to go a lot further. So we're really excited about how that will pan out for the rest of the year. So sorry, I wasn't invited to speak, but I just uh, interject here real quick. We sing the praises of UDF because for your listeners who are unfamiliar with the research world and how that intersects with organizations like the EDF, it is rare for a report to get issued in November of 2021 and then have within a matter of weeks a coalition of organizations making tangible commitments to improve kids' lives and family lives. That's not a common thing. And so I think part of our interaction with EDF has just been with our jaws on the ground as we've been able to see money committed for kids to improve their lives. Like, again, that just doesn't happen in this world very often. So I do want your listeners to walk away hearing that we are working as a coalition, but EDF deserves a lot of praise and a lot of shout out for just galvanizing the community, setting a vision, and making sure that vision is communally shared or collectively shared to help improve families and kids' lives. Well, I appreciate you sharing that, Steve. And I have to say, one of the great things about being a part of the military community is our connection, our connection with organizations such as EDF, our connections with within the community itself. And it's all about empowering and the cohesiveness that we have, frankly, as a family. So for our listeners, Rashi, what can they do to help with the Hidden Heroes Initiative? So I would say, first and foremost, think about interactions that you and your role might have with military families. Chances are, regardless of the work that you're doing, there's some touch point or impact where the work that you're doing is going to impact a parent, it's going to impact a child, it's going to impact a family unit. And really think about that interaction and think about that opportunity and what you can be doing better for kids in that household. Is it a new resource? Is it connecting them to an available program that might be of interest? Is it connecting them back to the Elizabeth Dole Foundation so that they can get more caregiving resources? Audit what you're currently doing. It's as simple as it is difficult because I know so many in our military community, especially over the last few years, have really been overwhelmed with different needs and different challenges that have come up as it relates to the COVID crisis. But never before, I think, has the needs of caregiving been more relevant given this current pandemic. And I think, obviously, the needs of children in homes, uh, whether it's through virtual schooling or, or different things like that, have definitely been top of mind. So I would challenge everyone listening to really think about what are the opportunities you have in your role to really improve the lives of these caregiving families. And if you're not sure what they are, reach out to the Elizabeth Dole Foundation and we'll help you think through what that is. The second thing I would challenge is make sure your organization joins our Hidden Helpers Coalition. If you're not quite sure of where to start, that's a really good first step because it lets you in and lets you think about how some of these other organizations are tackling these issues and thinking about what you can be doing. And then the third thing I would ask is that you encourage any military and veteran caregiver that you know to really raise their hand. Everything at EDF is branded under Hidden Heroes and, and now Hidden Helpers. Our goal is to make these populations feel unhidden. We want them to be seen and celebrated and revered. And so self-identification and 
what we find that once somebody raises their hand or, or hears something and is like, wow, I am a caregiver. Once they take that step of self-identification, the doors really start to open around available resources and things that are out there. So if nothing else, if there's a military or veteran caregiver, maybe who's your neighbor or somebody at work that you know is doing a lot to take care of someone, encourage them to register at hiddenheroes.org, encourage them to, to think about their role as a caregiver, think about what they need and to let us know so that we can better serve and support them. Well, Rashi, Cleo, Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you taking the time to explain not only the impact of this information, but what actionable measures we're going to be seeing. Thanks to the Elizabeth Dole Foundation. For our listeners, we're going to include in the show's notes links to everything that we discussed today. Until next time, live a great story.